Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is Ruby Beals. Ruby is the most important person in my professional life, so I better behave myself. She is the jewellery buying manager at Liberty London. Now, jewellery buying manager is really just a posh way of saying that she's in charge of all the jewellery buying for the most wonderful and internationally famous shop in the world. Liberty is right in the heart of good old London too. And more to the point, it is absolutely the best jewellery department you'll come across full of the most exciting, contemporary and interesting jewellery from all around the world. You'd think being a buyer would be the most glamorous job you could imagine, globe hopping from fashion show to fashion show. And I'm sure it is at times, but looking at it from my side of the business, it is incredibly hard work too. And there are huge pressures. Liberty was founded nearly 150 years ago and has championed art, craft, fashion and object art ever since. The gorgeous jewellery department still follows that tradition today. So you don't get to be head honcho at Liberty without lots of hard work and knowing exactly what you're doing. We'll find out more about all that in a minute. But for now, I'd like to say a huge welcome and thank you to Ruby Beals for taking the time out of an incredibly busy schedule to be my guest on This Is A Token. Is that okay? Yes, good. <laughs> and Liberty's coming up to 150 years. Yes. Have you got things planned? I think we probably will have things planned. Yeah, 150. I, we haven't planned anything yet, so when the time comes to start getting everything in place, we definitely will have some exciting things. I think there was something a while ago, and I went in and I drew like all the, all the wooden carved heads mm. and that actually turned into some jewellery but it was going to be for Liberty but it wasn't in the end so and I, that must have been for a thing but I can't mm. have been it must have been before my time could have been 140 I suppose oh god I've been around for <laughs> don't age yourself Alex but... it's fine it's not big too I bet our listener will be really interested to know how on earth you get to be I mean it's not something you do at school is it buying for no, fashion how do you get to be the buyer for the jewellery department at Liberty. Mm. Um, you can kind of see your sort of CV a bit on LinkedIn. It's been a pretty long old route. It has, and actually not really a very direct route. So yeah. went to university and studied sort of a fashion and marketing degree. Yeah. But previous to that, I was actually supposed to be a nurse. So had places at university to do nursing. You're joking me. Are you good at nursing? Well, I went and did my work experience and I just couldn't leave it there at the end of the day. If, like, a friend or boyfriend or family member's ill, are you good? I'm quite calm, yeah. Great. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'm quite calm, but I just thought, as much as I wanted to go down that route and help people, I actually, I don't think I would have been able to cope with it. So I took a year out to decide, actually, what, you know, what actually really interests me, which is when I applied to do fashion degrees, but I don't necessarily think I'm particularly creative, as in I wouldn't be able to do what you do in design product. To be able to buy, you've got to be creative. It's part of the process. 
So, you know, one of the biggest things about any creative process, I think, mm. is the editing. Mm. And, and your kind of like final step editing yeah. in, in the sense that you're choosing what is going to be presented yeah. to the customers. I, I think that in that way, I feel very confident. I yeah. feel I never really struggle with that. But I always seem to sort of have, I don't know where it comes from, but seem to sort of know what is going to work. Like no. it's, it's a sort of commerciality. But t- I would never be able to do that step before that you guys do. Okay. So, That's really interesting because um, that thing about sort of just sort of knowing what's going to work yeah. is kind of weird, isn't it? Because I suppose that's part of what we do here is, mm. is just having faith in the decisions you're making. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really important with that is just having that self-confidence and kind of going, I'm going to like follow what I believe mm. is right if the minute you start trying to sort of see what other people are doing then you've You've lost lost it you just lost it yeah you've I think then you've sort of you end up with a selection of brands or products that feels watered down Mm. you're trying to think second guess and think oh what you know what about that person what about that person who lives here and and I think it really is a gut instinct good buyers I think it's something that you can't explain and people often ask me and I don't ever really know what to say so one of my explanations is one thing I get help. So I have young women at work who kind of have their finger on the pulse. Mm. But the, the big thing that I do is I think that I really notice things. So this is exactly you know, the same I'm out and about and you're, you see someone yeah. in a restaurant and you see them just wearing something in a certain way. You yeah. think, oh, that is, that's, that's so cool. That's just right for now. But also everything only works in a particular time in history. So you need to know what the vibe is in the history. So mm. like, is it all crazy? Or do, do we need a bit of fun? Is it a time for sort of small and discreet? And, and that's often linked into what's happening politically, what's happening artistically. You know, so there's also a sort of zeitgeist is a kind of pretentious yeah. word for it, isn't it? No, I there? agree. The same as you. My friends laugh at me because I notice everything. Yeah. And I consume everything with my eyes. Yeah. My mind is very visual. So I sort of seem to collect all of that information and it must sort of funnel down into... I can't keep my eyes off your hands. So you, just as you were saying how visual well, you were... Well, I put it all on today it's, because... It's like, <laughs> that's just so nice and visual. But it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because um, sometimes I, th- I feel like people don't understand me because I feel like I live through so much life, like, like the way I navigate through life, the way I understand things. Often, so even to the extent that if I think of a number, it's often a, sh- a shape. So a five is a sort of four corners and one in the middle mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. like almost everything in my life works visually and I guess it's just the way that your brain is wired I think so and and also I think it's so for me it's it's like important so um you know if I go somewhere and things aren't right in a room or pictures aren't straight stuff like it's like no I want it visually I want visually mm-hmm. this to be right I want when I sit in a cafe I want to look right. I want to be in the right seat. And yeah. I, want to, I want visually it all to work. <laughs> it all to... <laughs> God, it's sad. No, I, get, I totally get that. I totally get that. So were you like madly into fashion when you were... I mean, um, personally, were you, were you like really caring about buying I, things? And I think my parents would probably say yes. I come from Norfolk. Yeah. Sort of, not in the middle of nowhere, but certainly not, you know, it was an hour to Norwich or it was an hour to Cambridge. So we did sort of live really... So a quite quiet life and I think I was probably the sort of the odd one out of my family so I did have a bit of an in, keen interest in you know buying clothes and sort of the latest trends and then when I got a bit older I think I probably started to get interested in jewellery around sort of mid-teens yeah but I never really ever thought it could be a career 
Like it was only really when, yeah. when I first started to apply to a fashion course, I knew I couldn't do a design course because I wasn't particularly in a creative that way. And at that time, universities were starting to do more of a marketing, fashion with marketing, sort mm. of more the other side of fashion. These sorts of degrees were coming out. So I went to study um, at Nottingham Trent. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't really have a clue what was going on when I first got there. And the first two years, I sort of thought, God, well, you know, what am I doing? How am I ever going to make this into a, a career? And something happened in the third year and it all sort of clicked into place. And I, I suddenly sort of felt like I could see how this could lead to be a job. And I could see how this could sort of lead to me working in this industry. But then, you know, after that comes the tough part, doesn't it? Once yeah. you've graduated. And so I took a year out. Um, I went back to Norfolk and I sort of tried to find things to apply for. Didn't actually really know what I wanted to apply for. Yeah. Like what to use this degree for. So I successfully secured a place, an internship at Burberry, which again, you know, suddenly moved to London, hated it at first, yeah. like really out of my comfort zone. Not particularly good with change, I don't think. I think that was the key here. And everything felt so different. But I went to work for Burberry, which really was, it was a tough learning curve, I think. Like, I think it's interesting because um, the fashion business has so many kind of sides to it. And I think maybe from an outside point of view, you could look at it and go, well, there's different ways of looking at it. One way is always oh, so glamorous, or mm-hmm. the other way is it's so sort of toxic yeah. and it's sort of controlling and shoehorning people. And also its, it's values are based on visuals, which are kind of quite hollow and empty. Yeah. But I think what you're talking about is actually the, the nuts and bolts. End. And, and it's, it's quite important because people need to... And, and want to be able to express themselves mm. and you want to be able to offer them things where they can express themselves but also it's like the nuts and bolts end of the of the business is really kind of hard it's quite hard nosed it's it's based on it you know if you're good so that was the first thing that really appealed to me about the fashion business and, and doing jewelry is that i would go to paris mm. and you'd you'd lay out what you thought was going to be the right sort of thing and buyers would come and either buy or not mm. and you were basically either bankrupt or yeah. or you or you were okay for the yeah. next season and that was purely based on whether what you had done somehow resonated with customers and mm. you, you would connect through your buyer and then and it would, it would work but it mm. was a it was a pure meritocracy based on, you know, shops need to sell through, don't they? Mm. So there was nothing pretentious. There was nothing about me trying to control people or sue them and tell them how they're looking. It was, it was purely like, was I connected enough mm. to be able to offer people what they needed mm. and wanted at that time? And it's like sink or swim and it's quite, it's pretty hard-nosed, isn't it? I don't feel, I feel like I would feel very vulnerable if I was like a designer putting my, you know, collection out to the buyers because... I imagine, you know, it's quite sort of... I don't know, the feedback can be quite harsh. Well, but it's a food chain. You put yourself out there and... and Essentially, they're buyers and intermediary. Mm. And what matters is the customers Mm. who who are either going to part with their hard-earned cash or not. And um, as a buyer, you have to use your taste and imagination... And, 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 and then you put things out and then and then you face the ultimate yeah critics. i guess it's a two-step process yeah i mean it? i think it's the same all the way through i mean how many buyers have we heard about and do we know who, who kind of got it wrong and then you never see them again <laughs> oh no <laughs> you can't get it if you're working for a big 
international company, you, it's hard to get it. Oh, dear, it makes it sound putting pressure on you know. But you can't really get it, it wrong, can you? Because, well, I think you can. I think you oh. know, working with. I mean, you're not. There's not much leverage for getting it wrong. I think mm. the pressure is always on to get things right, and you know, we have like, huge targets and sell through targets and all yeah. of that. But if you're bringing in, I mean, we've got I think about 55 brands which we work with. Yeah. And within, you're going to get something wrong, aren't you? Like, yeah, you can't but, get it yeah. right. Well, you need to take risks. Yeah. And I think I think taking a risk and perhaps getting the odd thing wrong is fine, but yeah. it needs to be proportionate. You need to get a, a certain proportion totally. right. To, to it's, it's, like if, it's like a triangle, isn't it? It's yeah. a cliche, but if you get that base yeah. and you, you know that that's going to drive your business and that's safe product and, you know, it's... Yeah. it's your sort of bread and butter, cliched phrase, then that gives you the freedom to take risks with the extra yeah. sort of top of the triangle. certainly for me uh, when I have young designers kind of saying oh how how do you do it what, what do you need to do mm. the only answer I have for them is you just have to be yourself do your thing mm. and if it works it works and if it doesn't then maybe you should be doing something else yeah. kind of thing but you can't sort of uh, control it or steer it in any way so I suppose I suppose for me there's been quite a lot of luck that my particular what I've been doing with it's not just me it's the team we've been yeah. doing because we've been really lucky that it's been able to work for mm, over a mm, period of time. Um, after Burberry, yeah, did you kind of um, hop through, work your way up through companies, and well, you know, London was working for you? I, at that point, I sort of got used to it, and I think that always does happen with me. I sort of do things quite yeah. spontaneously. I would say I'm probably quite a risk taker. I sort of worry about it afterwards, so a bit of a sort of contradiction. You sound like um, me. I'm poor old Emma downstairs. I'm always like jumping into things, and then and then oh, she has to put up with me going, "Oh my God!" So you know, why did I ever think this was going to be a good idea? I think you know, with that personality trait where you do jump in and do things, I think you always do rely on yourself to think, "Oh, actually, if I am have got myself into a bit of a situation here, I feel like I can get myself out." Yeah. So went to work for Burberry and that was more in the PR side of things and I, I, mean, I took oh. this internship and I didn't even know what PR was and it was right at the height of you know Burberry was like on fire at that time I think it was sort of 2003 maybe yeah. um, so I worked there for two years and then I went to work for Net-A-Porter mm-hmm. so again I sort of moved into a company that it was at sort of a very um like the height, it was like it was. Yeah, Netta Porte were just doing fantastically yeah. and fantastic things. They were very much at the forefront of everything that was happening, yeah. weren't they? I yeah. mean, you know, I tell my sort of parents who I was going to work for, and you know, they were like sandwich shop. They you know, <laughs> prep, every, yeah. but no one had really heard of it outside of London. But it was at the time where it was in a gr- huge growth period. So I was doing PR there again, mm-hmm. and. In my heart of hearts, I knew it really wasn't very me. Mm-hmm. I think I was probably the worst fashion PR there's ever <laughs> been. Like, I just, I felt like I needed to be more like a stage back from things. So more involved with product, mm. less involved with sort of, you know, calling people up and trying to tell them that story. And I just, well, the whole thing just didn't really work for me. Who was the jewellery buyer at Netapoti at that time? I can't remember who it was. American, American. I was a bit Sasha scared. Was it? Oh, yeah, I think I was a bit scared of them. They were so cool and so 
confident. They were, they were slightly terrified. It was. I mean, it was quite a machine back yeah. then. Um, so when I was there, I was, you know, I sort of kind of spent more and more time with the buying team, and then. I was actually given a chance by uh, the buying director at the time was Holly Rogers mm. and she I sort of convinced her that to give me a chance and she said you know we've got a maternity cover position as an assistant buyer let's see how you do if it works then we'll look to see you know for a more permanent position yeah. so I was like great I didn't have a clue I didn't know what markup was I didn't know what margin was and my best friend um, was working at ASOS as a buyer. So I was coming home in the evening, being like, oh gosh, you need to help me, help me with this, help me with that. And gradually, it all sort of clicked into place. And I worked there, I think, for another six years. Brilliant. Where did you, which department did you start off so in? So I started off in contemporary women's wear. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to jewellery and mm-hmm. sunglasses and spent, I think, a couple of years there. Then I moved to designer and super brand, which... For me, probably wasn't my favourite department. I always had a love for jewellery, but you didn't really have a choice on where you worked. You sort of got moved around. And then I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I think my time here is done. I think I've sort of taken this as far as I could. Yeah. So I went to work for a small um, online business called Avenue 32, who sort of championed young designers. And it was a very small business, and I was buying it across all categories a small team. So then again, that was a very different experience to the buying, you know, of, of yeah. like a big, you know... Yeah, like big machine. Like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, quite international as well. Yeah. yeah. So. From there, um, I went to work a really different business, actually. I went to work for Very. So yeah. very commercial, huge, huge business. Like, I've never sort of bought in the volumes and worked with the brands that, you know, they work yeah. with. It all became quite corporate. Um, and they're quite kind of fast fashion too, aren't they? So it's a bit more sort of high street. Yeah, it was definitely was more working with like the Nikes of the world yeah. and, you know, like big household names. Yeah. And at the time we were launching like a, a spin-off website, which was more contemporary. It was actually a separate website. It's called Very Exclusive, which doesn't exist anymore. But... I had a great time there. The people I worked with were some of the best, you know, they're, you know, still friends now. Yeah. And then, gosh, sounds like I've jumped around. Here, <laughs> then I went back to the Netsporte group, WineApp group, and worked for the Outnet. Yeah. Which for me, it made me a lot smarter because it's all about margins and it's you have to get creative on how you bring stock and all of that. But it wasn't the right fit for me because... When you're sort of buying, you can't go to a brand and buy exactly what you want and be creative and think of ideas. Yeah. You're sort of buying from excess stock. and yeah. Just for our listener, the outlet, yeah. it's a place where brands can offer excess stock mm. or things that are left over. So you're sort of selling it at slightly discounted. Yeah, because um, TK Maxx. Yeah, kind that, of. yeah. So I was there for 18 months. Again, loved the people, but I knew it wasn't for me. And then mm. I heard through my friend, the girl who was leaving Liberty who bought accessories and jewellery was leaving. And I thought, oh gosh. And I actually felt a little bit very nervous. Someone said to me the year before, what's your dream job? Mm. And I said, the jewellery buyer at Liberty. And then suddenly I'm presented with the opportunity to try and get this job, this job that, you know, I've wanted for years because even though I'd bought across different categories running up to that, jewellery was always my first love. Mm. So, you know, I was sort of waiting for this job to come up on, like, LinkedIn or, um, you know, one of the job website. And then it did. 
So I spent sort of three weeks writing a cover note, then, you know, another two weeks doing a presentation. And I walked out of the interview and I thought to myself, if I haven't got a second interview, I'll be very disappointed because Mm. I felt I'd done enough. Mm. And actually, when I was doing a sort of presentation for the interview, it all felt very natural. It felt like I sort of already knew who the customer was. Yeah. I'd shopped in there a lot, so I was, you know, very across the brands, sort of how they work to make things different you know it's a shock for mm. discovery so when I had the interview I felt already like I was sort of in those shoes mm. um already so I came out and then I didn't hear anything you know how it is and you know I couldn't sleep and then I have remember exactly where I was when I got the call and I thought well I think they're gonna call they're, I could see the number come up and I thought well that, oh, that's it and I'm, I'm definitely like I'm out now and they offered me the job. So Just then and there, it wasn't even second interview? No. Isn't that fantastic? But I, I did go, I think I did go over, well I know I did, I went over and beyond in the interview. I did a presentation, new brands, ideas for sort of pop-ups and events and all of that. Um, and they hadn't asked for anything, but I thought, if I've only got one bite at this, then I have to make it. That's such a yeah. good lesson because we interview plenty and it's amazing the difference between mm. applicants. And you can normally, you know, the right person, you, you just, yeah. they just shine out a mile. And it's because they did exactly what you've done. They've yeah. done all the work. They've done above and beyond. And yeah. I thought I would never forgive myself. And I remember clearly mm. the day, the weekend that I was sat down to do this presentation it was a really sunny day. There was a beer festival on in the pub next to my house and I could hear everybody outside. And I was like, no, this is so much more important. This is what you've wanted for years. So you knuckle down and do it. Brilliant. And yeah. Brilliant. I think if I was a jury buyer, I'd want to be the jury buyer for Liberty because of the fact that it's it's this kind of weird thing on its own, isn't it? It's not a department store. Mm. It's, a, it's a big kind of shop it's a, yeah. it's a big boutique yeah it's very eclectic and it's kind of iconic it's got mm. this great history and um we kind of like everyone from liberty yeah um everyone's just really nice Everybody is so nice and it just seems like a you know so that's where i shop yeah it is and um, i think when you walk in the store um i think this is very important especially for the jewelry department it doesn't feel cold it's a very warm feeling Everybody is welcoming and inclusive and you don't feel like you shouldn't be there. Um, and I think that's sort of helped by the people and it's helped by the, the actual... The building, I like the fact it's wood. made of wood yeah. and it, it kind of squeaks a bit as you walk yeah. through it, doesn't it? And creaks. <laughs> yeah. There's all sorts Isn't of... Isn't it? I think something like the boardroom or something's made from bits of wood from... Yeah, it's the shit. It's the shit. Yeah, it's the shit. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, there's there's sort of some inherent. Yeah, it's just the history of it is so rich. And Um, I was just wondering, we we have a lot of people who are doing kind of crafts and doing their own thing, Mm. and they kind of think, how can I kind of break through? And so when I started, the whole business was different because I started in the late eighties, was when I left like uni, Mm. and the buying team at Liberty was probably. 12 or yeah. something like that I don't know what but it was it was a huge you yeah. know, room for, for, for jewellery it was a huge room and the buyer had enough time to you could sort of pop in a, a letter or something or phone up and you could go in and see them I think probably if you lived in I don't know some out of London place like Nottingham if there was a nice shop you could probably still pop in yeah. and ask if you could see because the owner is probably going to be the buyer and you can probably do that on more on a sort of regional scale but somewhere like Liberty because of all the kind of pressures that you're just like incredibly busy and there's so much work to do 
that you can't, people can't just phone up and pop in because you just, you know, well, half the time you're not even in the country. And, mm. you know. and so I think a lot of people would want to say, you know, how, how would they get on the radar of someone like you? Yeah. And I think I know the answer, but I just thought I'd ask you about that. How do you find people? In, in... Well, I get inundated through various channels, through Instagram, through the shop floor, people will drop things in, mm. through email, through LinkedIn. And I have to say, I don't know if I'm alone in this, everything that I get sent, I genuinely look at. Mm-hmm. I think because I'm a curious person. Yeah. You know, I'll open the lookbooks, I'll look at, you know, the line sheets. I can honestly say, I do look at everything I'm mm. sent. I don't always have the time to get back to everybody because I would just spend my days replying to people. But I genuinely do look at everything. Mm. And I will get back to people. And, you know, and if something is of interest, I'm, I'm very happy to meet with them. And I think that's part of my job that I enjoy is actually helping people and giving them advice. You know, obviously I sort of can't do it all the time, but I do try and make time to that's... sort of help people... That's um, so nice to hear you say it because that was one of the things I thought, one of the things we lost by the degree to which buying teams have been squeezed. Yeah. I felt like when I was young, you know, if a buyer was interested in you, they would see you and give you some advice. Yeah. And I thought we might have lost that now because, of, just because of the practical yeah. pressures and the economic pressures. I hope not because, and actually I think it's quite nice sometimes because to then... Not that I'm doing it for my own my own gains at all, but it's nice to see that, you know, you you've given someone advice and they've taken it on board and you know, they're yeah. they're able to sort of get to the next step. But yeah. um you know, I, I sort of think it's a bit of a mean world if we're not sort of passing on a little bit of help to people. Do you know, maybe if you have any time again, I I'd really like to do some sort of informative podcasts or videos or whatever mm. just to kind of say this is how you for example this is what a collection looks yeah. like and it would be really nice then to talk to a buyer and say well actually you know when we're buying mm. you need to see this breadth you know yeah. you need to see yeah totally all and these things and small uh, things mm. as well I think which can help brands which I don't necessarily think you would know when you're starting out and I think giving a buyer as much information in one place yeah. is really key that's what I just made a note it's like like because you're so busy just make it really yeah, easy really easy you, you like, don't want to have um, maybe too much packaging on something where you no. have to, we have to spend five minutes looking for what you're also like wasteful packaging yeah. and quick and easy um, do you I was just wondering of the new brands that you might have bought over the past few years mm. would you say most of them are ones that you have found or are most of them ones that people have found you if you see what I mean because because one of the bits of advice I I give to young people is I say basically you just need to you need to get on their on their radar so have a great Instagram account yeah if you're followed by interesting people yeah then they'll be interested and they'll have a look and maybe maybe get in with some some other people who are influential and just kind of get your presence Mm. known yeah Instagram, I mean, I do find quite a lot of things from there, but yeah. um, I mean, it's such a job trying to keep our brands at liberty sort of interesting and exclusive. Yeah. And I think that's when we do well with things is when we have a brand exclusively. Yeah. You know, our customer wants to come for us to discover for discovery. They want to come for us for things that they're not going to find on every other website. 
obviously we do have you know brands that we cross over with people but I think you know that's the challenge that I think that's that's what I often think about is it's kind of like if you think about your your customer and your your customer's kind of thinking oh god you know I quite I wouldn't mind perhaps you know buying something where shall I go? Well, they want to go, I'm going to go into Liberty because yeah. I'm going to see, I'm going to be excited and trying to see lots of new things. And yeah. when they get there, you want them to go, oh my God, I love this so much mm. that I want to buy it kind of thing. Because yeah. that's what it's all about mm. and that's what makes people happy. But you're not going to do that if you have all the same stuff. You're not going to do that if you have all the stuff that everybody else has got. Totally. And so it needs to be, you need to have newness and exciting. Uh, but at the same time, I think all shops go through these curves mm. where you've got to kind of have the, all the standards that the customers will yeah. want. Um, so it's kind of quite a ba- balancing act, isn't it? It is. I think there's a balance between sort of, you know, you've got to have some commercial product in there, balanced with sort of, you know, interesting and unusual things. Yeah. If you have like sort of 50, 55 brands or whatever it is, mm. you can't be having, you know, 20 new brands a year, no. I guess, you know, because so actually that it's quite a small window yeah. of opportunity in Liberty and it may be, I guess, I'm guessing, sorry, I'm guessing this, but it may be that someone sort of comes on your radar, but you don't just don't have space for them. So you'll keep them in your, in your mind's eye. And yeah. then maybe at some point when something drops off, you go, you know, we'll, we'll put them exactly. in Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I joined the business four years ago and did quite a lot of work to sort of change things, we sort of, you know, brought in quite a lot of extra or new brands. And I think our customer reacts well to new brands because yeah. um, I think again it's that sort of feeling of discovery and yeah. um, so I have brought in quite a lot of new brands over the past four years um, but Liberty you know we don't just want to pick something up because it's a trend thing to drop them the next season Yeah, we want to partnership with that brand so I think it's about having brands that we feel have longevity yeah. and we can grow together and we can do exciting things together, exclusive capsules like we do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, our jewellery hall isn't huge. So every single thing in that, every single brand in the space sort of has to earn its keep. And some of that space is our concession. So that's, yes. that's the way that shops work is that some of the space you'll kind of almost rent out to, yes. to brands. So that yeah. takes up quite a lot of the space. Yeah. So, so that's what people sort of need to understand is, is some of it is bought in by Liberty, other, other yeah. are, are concessions. Exactly. Um, so if you sort of look at the, the hall in Liberty, around the outsides of the rooms are our concession partners, yeah. so our like shop-in shops, basically, yeah. who are probably bigger brands where their range, you know, is um, vast and actually... It would require too much budget and management yeah. for us to do the buying of that ourselves. I think they like doing it themselves anyway because they can train staff in there to represent them. Totally. I could go on about this side of the business because this is, this is absolutely my heart. So I started out um, in the late 80s and all I wanted to do was make jewellery and sell it to buyers. So I wanted to wholesale it and then have it in shops all around the world. Mm. Um, I wasn't in any way interested in retailing, but I think as the business has evolved, like yeah. doing a bit of retailing makes sense now. So we retail as well, but our kind of heart is in is in exactly this sort of thing. So I could go on about it all day, but I hope that our listener would want to know what does a jewellery buyer wear <laughs> and own themselves? So have you bought some pieces along? I have. Let's have a look. So I think... My main thing is I love antique jewellery. Right. So um, I love anything that I feel has got a bit of a story behind it. I'm quite a sentimental person, so I love anything with sort of a message or yeah. um, 
something that has a bit of meaning to it. Yeah. This is another. I love that, that. I love your. Just to say, um, Ruby's just opened her jewelry pouch. <laughs> I'm never it's normally this organised. It looks normally it's thrown into. Shouldn't say that. Let's have a look. So I think <clears throat> um, I think a lot of people say this, but I think I do believe that I became interested in jewelry because of my grandma. So that's so nice. My family, a hundred percent Norfolk through and through, apart from my dad's mum. She was from sort of Hampton Court way. And she's not local then. No, not local, she's no, she? no, not local at I'm from, all. I'm from Suffolk, so I kind of, I, I really identified with everything Ruby was saying. Um, I felt like, you know when you were talking before about um, growing up in Norfolk, I just, I just I have a slight resentment because as a young man mm. growing up, and being interested in fashion and mm. being visual and stuff. Oh, I'm sure it, was, it didn't go it, down well. It did not go down well. No, and it's funny. I think Norwich itself now has become a much more sort of trendy city. There's yeah. a lot of independent business there. Yeah. And it's quite cool. There's sort yeah. of a hippie element to it. A lot of cool independent shops. But I think, you know, that has gathered pace over the last sort of 10, 15 years. Yeah. I think, you know, going back to back way back it wouldn't have been the same they used to have a mustard shop and as, I don't know if it still does but, but that was my sort of trip Arcade. that was the only yeah, yeah the best thing to do in East Anglia was go to the mustard shop in, in Norwich um, so my yeah. grandma was very into jewellery she had um, sort of come from a bit of a sort of fancier family and I always remember going round to her house and looking through her jewellery and this ring was actually hers and she, my granddad used to buy lots of different jewellery for every occasion she'd ask for jewellery and I there were two rings this one and then there was an opal ring and my granddad had bought her this in Sardinia and every time I went around I'd try this ring on so for my 21st birthday she said what would you like and I said can I have that ring which sounds awful now when I think about it and she said of course I'd like to see you wear it you know before Aww. so I think they're white sapphires actually and um, a nice emerald um, a lovely square emerald. So what it is is it's a, it looks like a, you know quite a traditional kind of ring. Yeah. And if you're looking at it from the top, it's square. Yeah. And around the outside are, are lots of what I think are probably I think they're diamonds, but they might be white sapphires. I don't know. I'm not good enough at gemology. And then a beautiful the emerald's amazing because it's got so much reflection. Yes. I was kind of thinking, why is that so? Why is it reflecting back? But I think it's the cut. Do you know what really grabbed me from a distance? So the square, um, the collet, which is the kind of thing that all the stones are set in. If you look at it from the side, you want to get light coming in mm. from the side. And um, looking at it from a distance, I thought, oh my gosh, that's like a bee. And it's given me a really nice idea for doing like a, a ring with a collet with a bee in the side. Because obviously that's oh, nice. that sort of thing. But I don't think it is a bee. I just think it's a nice shape. I was going to go... Kicked things off, It's really. so nice. And it came... I remember the box it came in. Do you remember like her wearing shell? it? Yeah, I do. She used to wear quite a lot of her jewellery. Um, and actually, this is their, um, my nan and granddad's wedding, and wedding band, oh. which I'll never take off. So that's from her. I bet she was really um, she was really flattered, I bet, that you wanted... I mean, you know, you were saying, oh, oh yeah, it was a bit kind of maybe... Yeah. But I bet she was so flattered. What a nice thing to think that you've still got this and you have this connection to your gran mm. all those years afterwards it's beautiful so she um, yeah i've got quite a lot of her jewelry i haven't actually bought anything else from that's her quite, that's quite posh isn't it i mean that's quite a nice piece of jewelry and yeah, really, it's really nice like the opal was my sister has the opal um, did they go to sicily or, or yeah they did i what? think it was sardinia they used to travel quite a lot well i don't think my granddad ever really wanted to go but i think my nan <laughs> loved it so she much she sounds really glamorous yeah she was she i remember when 
I think I must have been sort of 10, 12. She used to come to London to buy Helena Rubenstein Foundation. Wow. Makeup. And I remember it was £18 for this makeup she used to buy. And I used to think, crikey. Like, how extravagant. And then as time got on, I think she sort of became less and less extravagant. And then in the end, she would deny all the fact that she ever used to spend that much on makeup. But she did. She was a character. That's such a cute ring. We're going to photograph that ring. And we're going to put all the images on the website. And also, we're going to put any kind of information that we've been chatting about. We'll kind of put any um, links and things onto the website. So for me, it's You've all pulled about, some off your fingers as I well. Have. It's, it's all, all rings. It's about rings for me. Well, I said at the opening that your yeah. fingers just look so good. I love the fact now... You were talking about the kind of nostalgic thing about your grandmother. It seems to have gone into a bit of a circle because mm. I remember particularly kind of Mediterranean, but I remember sort of grandmothery sort of generation people would just have the most brilliant yeah. hands full of jewellery. And now my daughters, their hands are just like absolutely yeah. every finger's got as much on as it I can know. be. I just think it looks great. And I thought, so I thought you looked great. When it's always like, why are you wearing so much jewellery? Like you don't need to wear so much. Well, like, dad, because it looks fantastic. So these two probably have a bit of a story about them. So this was from a jewellers in Norwich. It was called Tim Gems. Oh, right. And I discovered it too late because by the time I'd found it, he was closing down. So it was at the top of Elm Hill, which um, for sort of people that don't know, it's this sort of cringly old street in Norwich that they use for films. Norwich is worth quite a visit because it's, it's absolutely beautiful and that part of town is just amazing. So I saw this in the window and I thought, love that went to try it on and it fit and I think oh god I must have been like 24 at the time obviously did not have the money to buy it didn't think any more about it the next time I was in Norwich with mum I thought I'm gonna go and look at that ring again went in to Tim Gems and he was this funny old Norfolk boy who told us that he used to he would take anything as part payment he'd take a tank of diesel for the farm he'd take a freezer (laughs) full of meat yeah. In part exchange. Anyway, went into the shop and it'd gone. And he said, oh, no, we sold that ring. I thought, God, it's only been a few weeks. Sold it already. Like, who comes down here to this shop with about 15 things in? Didn't realise. My mum had gone in, put it on hold, on layaway. And, every you know, every few weeks she'd go in and, like, pay a little bit off for it. Fast forward about eight years, six years at Christmas... It was like midnight on Christmas Day and mum was like, oh, there's a couple of presents on the tree there for you, you, me and my sister. Opened it up and it was the ring. And she'd saved it until she'd found something to get my sister as well. Oh, how gorgeous and I was your like, mum. Oh my God, that looks like the ring. She'd know it is the ring. So when I'd gone in with her to try it on again, they both knew, Tim, the owner of the shop, and my mum both knew. They were in on it. Yeah. So the band has been replaced, actually, because um, when I was at a wedding, it just broke and pinged off across the room. So So it's like a, it's like a, yeah, is that a white gold band? I think, I'm not so sure what, because mum actually had it replaced for me, so. It's almost like, I'm going to say, it looks really, this is a really crappy way of saying it, but it's almost like a snail from, in in the sense that it sort of circles, and it's got these, these kind of, um, 
what do you call that shape that's like a marquise shape mm. uh, um, a kind of pointy shape with all these sapphires and then a little load of diamonds and then another sapphire on the top and um, it's really pretty but it's got that vibe hasn't it a sort of um, of that generation mm. like like your, you could have told me that your grand had that and yeah I, I think so. it's from uh, it's like art deco period so um, cool and such a great gallery again underneath where you get all the light coming in yeah. from underneath too. so that um, that's beautiful and, and actually starkly. I think I wish Tim Gems was still open because I think he probably had some real treasures over the years, but I discovered it a month or so before. We missed those places. Before, yeah. Did he have little um, red velvet turntables? In the, where, he didn't the, actually. Uh, it was very bare inside, oh, quite sort it? of wooden. And I missed those ones that had the little red velvet turntables and then things would sort of spin yeah. around and you'd get all that amazing. <laughs> I used to go, there was one on the Woolworth Road, I used to go and draw it outside the window because there were things, the things we lost for ages. You remember, I mean, there's a lot of them around there, the sort of spinner necklaces, but... Yeah. My my kind of sisters, when they were teenagers, they had spinner neck, you know, that didn't say anything until you spun yeah. it, and then it would say, I love you, I or something. I still see those. They've but they've sort of made of come back a bit, yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of cool old stuff is, is um, kind of is. All right, we're going to photograph that. Over to Esme. Thank you. And then this is another piece from Norwich. Is it? I thought yeah. this, was a, this was like a, a new piece that was no, coming this- it's, it's amazing, this, this is, ring. I think, from early 1800s. Is it? It's like a dome. So yeah. it's, this, it's this half round on top, and it's a blue enamel dome. No hallmarks. But I think that style of ring... So ...became nice. famous because Marie Antoinette used to wear... They're called um, bag au firmament, which means ring of the heavens. So that's supposed to be reminiscent of the night sky. Like celestial with a big star in... Exactly. So yeah. she used to have one of these rings with, like with the sort of night sky scene on them. And then it became very fashionable at, at that time. So I think, no hallmarks, but I think that is early 1800s. Yeah, I mean, I guess the giveaway is the cut of the, I can't really see the cut of the smaller diamonds, but there's this big star in the middle with a big diamond in, in the middle of the star. Mm. And it's it's a nice old cut diamond there. It's a beautiful old cut diamond. I have a um, real thing about that sort of dark blue enamel with the gold and the diamonds. Yeah. So there's also a story behind this. We were actually shopping for my sister's 40th birthday present in Norwich, was exhausted all of the jewellers, hadn't found anything. And then we walked up to the window of the jewellers that this was in, and I was like, what is that ring? And my mum was like, we are not shopping for you, we're shopping for your sister. So, and I was like, well, I just have to go and try it on. So went in, tried it on, obviously it fit, which for me is a sign with antique jewellery. Yeah, got to have it. And then I thought, God, I'm being a real brat here. This isn't about me. So um, we went home, um, eventually found her something um, from an antique market in London. But on the Monday, I called back the jewellers and asked them to put it away for me. And my mum, being very sweet like she is, the next week went into town because she was going to put it away for my 40th birthday. But again, the woman was like, oh, we've sold that ring. And mum was like, oh, okay. I said, I suppose you can't tell me who bought it, but um, was her name Ruby? <laughs> and the woman just sort of raised her eyebrows. And Why are you two like? They're mad at each other, aren't they? <laughs> like secrets. It's like... <laughs> so, um, yeah, I get a lot of comments on that, actually. But I try not to wear it too much because I think it's quite fragile because of the enamel. Yeah. Tell me the style of ring again. It was French. Anything with this blue enamel and diamond in gold. It's sort of celestial. Um, it's called a bag au firmament. So, so in a very bad French accent, but it, that it means translates like to ring, ring of, of the heavens. heavens. What's interesting, I just wonder why, because it's got like a little gold, yeah, what's that? I don't know. It's a little bit on one side. We'll photograph that. There's a little uh, bit. At first I thought maybe it was a conversion from a pin, 
but it's curved underneath to fit a finger. No, it's, so. it's a ring. It's, I mean, anyway, that's fascinating. Yeah, we'll, we'll look them up and put some links on the website. We mm. quite often stumble across some old style, and it seems to be always French have a nice yeah. term for this style, any style of jewellery. And then when you look into it, it's great history. Yeah, and I love It often leads like into that. new designs. And then I guess I love anything with a sort of anchor motif yes. or anything sort of nautical. So um, this is so lovely. That's antique. Again, no hallmarks. I, I don't think it's particularly old. But that was bought from Etsy. This is a, a signet ring. It's a kind of slightly hollow signet ring, and it's in, beautifully engraved. And then there's enamel in the engraving. And actually, there are some brilliant designers these days who are doing this type of thing is yeah. it where you're enamelling in the engraving it's just really nice it's got a heart an anchor and a, and a cross the, uh, the anchor's quite charity isn't it that's yeah. what that's done for I love the anchor motif as well because I did a collection once based on an exhibition at, at Greenwich Maritime Museum mm. and um, back in the day when these pieces of jewellery were being made it was quite a big thing in Norfolk because um, obviously that's where Nelson yeah. was from and there's a great sort of um, maritime it's all it's all coastal but the anchor the bits on the bottom of the anchor that, mm-hmm. that hook into the bottom of the sea yeah. to stop you drifting are called flukes so that's where our word fluke comes from for, for being luck so that's the fluke and the luck is if the fluke goes in so the oh. anchor emblem is it often signifies good luck yeah um and the swallow that you get quite a lot mm. of in those things yeah. is it of signifies return so you'll often have sort of anchor swallows yeah and that kind of thing it's quite sentimental yeah i love anything you know like guys that. would go off and leave their family and you'd think well am i ever going to see you again i'll see you in six months if you don't you know drown or whatever it is yeah i love um, anything with sort that's of meaning so nice. or this almost could have been a contemporary ring i totally. think i mean so many of your bits of jewelry could yeah. be really contemporary um and then this I bought from oh. eBay, which has a really sweet little... That's so um, That obviously would have been given to somebody as sort of a piece of sentimental jewellery. I should probably get the hallmarks read, but I imagine it's sort of Victorian. Yeah, what you have to do with the hallmark is you need a loop to be able to see them because they're tiny. people at work to do it. Yeah, and have a look. But then you kind of need a book because what happens is that... There's various hallmarks. One will tell you where it was hallmarked mm. and one will tell you who they yeah. make. You may, I'm, talking, I'm talking more to our listener because you, you've got all this. But there'll be a date stamp, which is a letter. Mm. And depending on the font and the, the way the letter's done, so they'll work through the alphabet and then they'll change the font mm. of the letter. So you need a kind of book, don't you? You sort of go back yeah, and go, oh, it's a sort of... I've got one at car boot sale, but I haven't sort of sat down and tried to use it yet. We've so probably got millions of them. <laughs> but it's like, I'm always really interested, but not never actually interested enough to, to, no, to sit I, there for a half hour. Good skill to have. At Liberty, we have a antiques a concession that specialise in antiques, and they their staff are amazing. So normally, I pop it in there, and they uh, get them to do it. Yeah, it's great. This is really nice. Again, it could be really contemporary. Mm. It's got four pearls set, so pearls can be a little bit because they're organic. You have to watch out because you know if you're cleaning or whatever, you yeah. don't want to put it in anything acidic mm. or or anything abrasive. Um, but it's also got this really nice en- engraving and enamelling on it. So it says "Ever True" in black enamel, and then there's a black enamel panel on either side of the. It's a kind of signet ringy sort of shape. But what I really like because it's got these four pearls in. You have to check the photograph out. There's a little diamond set in the middle, but the diamond set, in a way that turns it into a slight sort of cross shape mm. that fits around the pearl. So it's almost like a little bit sort of, not religious Yeah, but, you know, I know what you mean, yeah. It's got a little bit of something else to it. Um, that's so beautiful. All these rings, they need to, you've got to check the photographs because they're beautiful. They're really contemporary, but they're antique, which is amazing. A lot of things I sort of buy from 
you know, I sort of feel like buy from eBay or this is another interesting wow. ring, which I've got um, actually examples of that exact ring are in um, an antique book that I've got. Wow. Is it a famous designer? I or? don't think so, but it's called a harem ring from Victorian era, I believe. Yeah, I saw it on eBay and I got it at a really good price, to be honest. Do you know what? This is like Ruby's Museum of Jewellery. Um, <laughs> this is beautiful because there are five rings. They're connected at the back with a sort of gold loop. They're all gold. And again, it's this lovely antique colour gold. So all this gold has a softer colour than a lot of new gold. Slightly rose A bit rosier, yeah. yeah. It probably has, you know, it's probably easier to alloy with a bit more copper back in those days. But um, this one, each band, so there are five bands and they have stones set around the front and they have several diamonds which are set in a sort of rectangular shape. And then there's a coloured round stone set between them. And on one, you've got two green and then you've got red, blue, red, and then you've got pearl, pearl, pearl and then you've got green green and then you've got red blue red again so there's a sort of pattern to it but also there's a randomness to it. and then together they just look amazing mm. so you know what I really would like to see I would so love to go to a museum of like normal just people's jewellery yeah same because like the V&A my beef with the V&A is firstly it should be called the Museum of European Jewellery because it, there's so much jewellery being made in the world and mm. there's, it's so underrepresented mm. all, all the jewellery that's made in other places in the world so it's very European but also it's like the, the story of posh white people yeah you know it and doesn't so, really have much variety and kind of what I do and I, th- I think what you do mm. is this jewellery that people are going to wear yeah so this is I call it fashion jewellery in the sense that the fashion industry is things for people to wear mm. so what I hope is I make stuff that people are just going to wear and, and I think they do wear it it's not jewellery to be put in a safe it's not jewellery to be put in a, no. in a museum or, or a gallery and I'd, I'd really like to see a, a story, an exhibition it? of like what people wore yeah. why they wore what they're called yeah. give us a bit of a history about it and that would just be do you know if I had another lifetime I think I might kind of well I still could it's kind of curate an exhibition with Great, kind of this like just telling full people of this stuff. Stuff. Yeah, that's such a nice I ring. Think you can also sort of tell from you know looking at my jewelry box. You can sort of tell I'm a bit of a chaotic person. Like, I think uh, well, I this is tell. very organised today, Alex. If okay, you came okay. to my house and looked at my jewellery or my jewellery box, it would be like a little bit of an insight into my brain. Well, I'm going to come round because we're <laughs> going to go for a dog walk we are, in the park. We are. We've got a plan, don't we? Because they've all been rings. We're going to look at one more piece. Okay, what should we... Maybe we should look at this. I think this I is... I like this because it's not a ring. It's, it's a bracelet, but it's just beautiful. So again, it's this beautiful rose gold colour. There are two chains, one top, one bottom. And soldered between the chains are some letters that read, Good luck. Where'd you get this? And there's a beautiful chart. This is from eBay. Is it? Yeah. So I think this... So um, what do you do? You just spend your time looking at eBay? Honestly, Alex, I'm while hours away just looking at stuff. Etsy, eBay, auctions. And I think this might be Victorian Edwardian. But it hasn't brought me a lot of luck. I got it just before the start of the pandemic. And then, you know, all of that happened after. And I don't think it's particularly lucky, but I love... It feels so modern, doesn't it? It, it feels, feels really modern. It feels like something that, you know, I could have made or any, anyone yeah. made. I've got special affection for these gorgeous... I like the catch because it's, it's like yes. a really... Not really round turquoise there. And I love golden turquoise. It's just so such a nice combo of colours. But then it's got one of these box catches. And what you do is you sort of slide it in and then there's this, like, such a satisfying little clip, clip. and it goes yeah. in. But the colour is gorgeous. That's one of the things I like about this Victorian jewellery is the craftsmanship and mm. 
They're so yes. beautifully made. So I don't know if you know true, but like first thing I always do with all the rings is you kind of I suppose it's like someone who's mm. uh, who knows about clothes making. First thing you do is you yeah. sort of turn it inside out because yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, how did they make that? And what's yeah. the? Oh, we haven't actually. We're going to look at this ring as well because we haven't looked at this ring properly. I'm just pulling it out because it's another. It's almost like a cameo ring. Yeah, it's um, with an anchor on it. One of the original uh, Wedgwood cameos. Is it? Yeah. So one of our brands at Liberty, obviously the factory in Stoke-on-Trent, Stoke-on-Trent um, doesn't exist anymore. So she has bought all of the old cameos that were sort of unset into things, and mm. she now sets them into this modern setting. So oh, gorgeous. Yeah. So nice. So that actually, so there's nice. only a certain amount of these left. So once they're sort of gone, they're once gone. They're gone they're so gone. she um, speaks to all the old workers that worked there. And yeah, and again, I just love that sort of anchor. Routine, it's amazing. So. It's amazing. So it's beautiful Wedgwood. The blue's a bit darker than, I, than I'm than i used to for Wedgwood. Yeah, there's a few different types of blue that they use. And I think there's one that's called Portland Blue, one that's, I can't remember what the paler shade is. And I undenard whether to get the turquoise or this. But then I thought... That shade sort of goes with Oh, no, I like this. Other. I think this is a great colour. Actually, I don't quite suit me. Mm. Well, we do men's, Alex. I've got, <laughs> I've got my little boat now. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. I've got Where? a little boat up in up in Suffolk on the coast, on the Deben. Nice. And I've got a, I want to get a Jean-Paul Gaultier <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> I haven't quite and got the figure for it. Hat. A little, and I'll be like the campus, <laughs> the campus sailor in summer. A little ring like that would be great. Lovely. Um, Ruby, I'm going to say thank you so much for coming along. And thanks. It's really interesting to hear about, you know, the world of jewellery buying and all those tips and hints for people. Mm. And most of all, it's been fascinating to see what's inside a jewellery buyer's jewellery box. So thank you very much for coming. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com